Today we're going to be talking about uh, the fault that God found with the Old uh, Covenant and what God saw in the Old Covenant, why He had to bring forth a new covenant. You know, so many times we might think, you know, why the whole change from the Old to the New? Is it about works? Is it not about works? Um, and is the works thing, uh, I mean, why? I mean, now we've, we're struggling. We're actually at a place where we don't know. Should, should it be about good works or not? And it's almost as if there's a bit of a confusion. And why did God uh, do it that way? Why did He come and bring forth Christ? Why did He have one system and end it and then bring forth another system? And, uh, you know, the message that we've preached many times about who we are and what we can achieve and all those kind of things was all law-based. And what we would do is we would say, get your works right, Get what you do right so that, you know, you can be acceptable to God. In the meantime, God looked at the world in their sin and in their um, despair, and he didn't find fault with the world. Uh, you know, if you go to a hospital and you see somebody that has um, a curable disease, and you look at him, and you see that he's going through a difficult time and all those kind of things, and he's continuing to cough, and he's continuing to struggle, and all those kind of things, and it's just going worse and worse with him, but it's a curable disease, you're not going to try and find fault with the guy. You're going to try and find fault with the medical system or the medical care. That's where you're going to look at. You're going to look at the system that he's under, and you will critique the system to see as if he... Um, you know, and find fault with a system. So, in other words, if you've got an, an infection and I come and I give you some aspirin, uh, you know, it might help the headache, but it's not going to cure the infection. So, if you've got something that can heal temporarily, you know that the infection needs antibiotics or it needs something, um, you know, stronger or something that can attack the infection. So, if you give me just uh, uh, something that just stops a headache, but I've got an infection in my knee, uh, and I don't get healed. You know, you're going to say, what's wrong with this medicine? There's something wrong with the medicine. The medicine cannot cure the person. And then you will want to change the medicine. And that is what this whole thing is all about. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Now, um, we're going to start off by he reading from Hebrews 10 and verse 1. It says, For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there unto perfect. So what God is saying here through the writer of the book of Hebrews is that the sacrifices of the Old Testament and all the laws and all the rituals and everything they had to do could never make the people that offered them perfect. It is impossible. It could not make them perfect. And that is the problem that God basically had with the old. The old system could not bring perfection to us. That is the problem that God had. God had a problem uh, with, his, with the system, not with us. He had a problem with the system. And he wanted to end a system that cannot bring perfection to us. That is what this is all about. It says in verse 2, for, they would, uh, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers once purged should have had 
no more conscience of sins. So, um, and that conscience doesn't, talks about a, a mindset of sin anymore, but a, a, a mindset of perfection. So, if a sacrifice cannot make you clean, you would have to do it again and again and again. And the fact that you have to do it again and again means it doesn't clean properly. It's like if you've got a shirt and it's got a stain on it and you wash it in the washer and it doesn't become clean, what do you do? You wash it again. Now if you've been washing it for five years and the stain remains, it means there's something wrong with the soap. The soap cannot clean the person. In the very same way, the law cannot clean your mind. The law cannot get you away from a sin consciousness that is impossible. And the context here is the old sacrificial system, talking about Judaism, talking about circumcision, and the whole law. We also need to understand that the Jews didn't make a distinction between, uh, they didn't divide the, um, the ceremonial laws and the uh, moral laws. To them it was just the law. That is all that it was. So when we look at the, the law here, we need to understand that if, if you try and obey the Ten Commandments and love your neighbor as yourself or try not to desire or any of those things, you will find that trying not to desire cannot cleanse your heart from evil thoughts. It is impossible. Trying to obey the Ten Commandments cannot bring forth the righteousness and the holiness and the life that God intended for you forth in your life. It is impossible. So uh, the, when we look at the law and when we look at Christ, we need to look at it as medicine. Um, and we will start to understand better what this is all about. What man thought was, man thought that through his own ability, he can cure himself from uh, death. That is what he thought. And it was not possible. And that is why the Bible even says in Romans chapter um, 8, and let us read Romans, uh, not Romans, Hebrews 8. It also says that God found fault with the old. He found fault with a, with a prescription. Um, you know, wherein man would, wherein it was prescribed, listen, do these things and you will live. And he found that it couldn't work. Let us read from verse um, 7. Hebrews 8 verse 7. It says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place been sought for a second. So, what does it say here? It says that the, full, the first covenant was, wasn't faultless. It had fault. There was something wrong with the covenant. There was nothing wrong with us. There was something wrong with the covenant. The problem that there is with cancer and the problem that there is with HIV AIDS. In South Africa, we've got a lot of people that die of AIDS every year. You know, the problem with, with people that's got AIDS is this. The medical... Medical science has not developed a cure yet. And the moment they develop a cure, they will find fault with the first and will do away with the first and bring that which can cure man 
from HIV AIDS. You know, if you've got HIV AIDS, you'll have to, or I mean, sugar diabetes, any kind of a sickness that is chronic, you, will, you have to drink that medicine every day. So this, the, the fact that you're drinking it every day, that you must drink it every day, means it has not cured you. It might help a little, and it might suppress some of the, the, the symptoms, but it hasn't cured you. In the very same way, if I must use willpower to obey a command, when I feel anger in my heart towards somebody and say, I need to love him, for the Bible says I must love, it means that your system, whereby you want to love others, could not cure you from the bitterness and hatred and whatever is inside your heart. And God has not come to uh, get some symptoms suppressed. He's come to cure us from death and from sin. And that is what he has come to accomplish in Jesus Christ. And that is what it's all about. As much as what we are not upset with people that's got cancer um, and use a medicine and the cancer keeps growing, we're not upset with them because we know the weaknesses in our medicine. In the very same way, God is not ups- was not upset with the world when they were dying under a system that brought, could not heal them and cure them. And he, comes, he came to show his mercy. And his mercy was to, uh, to get them healed from this self-medical system that man had, wherein they wanted to cure their own um, sin by their willpower. And where, where he has come and where he has promised and brought forth something that's, most, or that's much stronger than human ability. Uh, let me read from Romans here again. It says in verse 8, not Romans, Hebrews 8, verse 8, For finding fault with them, so he found fault with the first. He says, For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by hand, um, to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, says the Lord of hosts, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their heart and I will be to them a God and they will be to me a people. Now, uh, the whole writing of the, to the Hebrews is written to the Hebrews or to the Jewish people explaining the gospel system. Yet we know that in this, ho- in this truth we were included. We are the people of God because God writes his laws in our minds and in our hearts. What that means, uh, it doesn't mean that God comes and puts the Ten Commandments in our mind and in our heart and that we will now meditate upon the Ten Commandments and we will meditate upon the law and we will love the law and he will write the old law on our heart. He's not going to write the old law on our heart. What he's going to write on our heart is how he thinks and how he believes. That is what he will write on our heart. If we look at the Old Testament, we will see that the old, the old covenant was a shadow of the new. And when we look at the shadow, we see how it prophesies to what Christ has come to do. And what God will write in your mind, the law that God will write in your mind, is the principle by which he will bring life to you. Another word for principle is the word law, or vice versa. Another word for law is principle, a synonym. 
So if we come and we talk about a principle, we're talking about a law. And there is a principle by which God knows we're going to have life. And that principle is very simple. If God takes his life and puts it inside something that is dying and brings forth his life in that person or in that being that's dying, that being will not die anymore, but will have his life and will live forever. That is how it works. So the law of God is this. The principle, the principle of God is this. If I can take away their death, and if I can conquer their sin, then the life that comes from that, or the life that will remain after all of that, will be their life. And that life can enter people when they believe it. So, this is what God said. If I could take, take their death, take their life, conquer it, and bring forth a truth that is true about every human being in the earth, they will be able to believe this as a truth, and as this truth enters their hearts, they will be born from this truth and live and not die. And the life that I have, which is above sin, above death, will manifest inside them. That is what the Bible calls the law of life, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That is what it is um, called. So when we, we, we look at the scripture, we want to look at the scripture from the perspective of God finding fault with the old. So if you come and you look at a law-based life and you see that the law-based life cannot produce eternal life, you need a you, don't, you shouldn't find fault with a person trying to obey the law. You should find fault with the law. The problem with the law is it cannot be obeyed. The problem with the law is our weakness of flesh. So if we sit with a problem, and this is the problem, we've got people that doesn't have enough willpower, that doesn't have enough holiness, that doesn't have enough strength inside them to obey a principle that could bring life the problem is not with a perfect the problem is not with a with the people that are weak the problem is with this principle this principle cannot save it's uh, you know we this weekend we moved things from uh or we, we went and packed up a lot of stuff for my mother-in-law and everything she's moving from the farm she's coming down to malmesbury and as we were loading all these things i was looking at one of these uh, uh, like a steel hook you know, and if you take a strong steel hook and you want to lift something, hook it into a chain and lift something, if that hook is too big to fit into the chain, into the link of the chain, if it's too big and it cannot fit in there, um, the problem is not with a thing that needs to be lifted. The problem is also not with a hook in the sense of that it's not strong enough. The problem is these two things don't fit. In the very same way with us and the law. If you have somebody that is weak, if you've got somebody that is not strong, he needs to, you need to look at that person and you need to see there's nothing wrong with this person. What is wrong is with a system which might be a perfect system, which if you look at the law, it stands for everything that's good. Love the Lord your God, don't desire, and all those kind of things. But if the, this, the, these people cannot do that, they've got the inability to do that, this is not it. A system was needed that can work for weak people.
God needed a system that can work for people that doesn't have the ability to save themselves, that doesn't have the ability to obey the law. He had to bring forth a system that can save disobedient people. He had to bring forth a system that can save sinners, that cannot obey the law. That's what he had to bring forth. And that's what he brought forth in Jesus Christ. Now, let us just read Romans, uh, Hebrews there again. Hebrews um, 8. It says here, for finding fault with, with them, he said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not. So what he says here, he says, I want to regard man, I want to bless man, but I couldn't do that on the old system, so I want to end the old system, for they cannot function by that system, they cannot obey that system. For this is a covenant I will make with them, I will bring forth such a big covenant and such a strong covenant that my way of thinking and my way of believing will flood their hearts and then I will be to them a God and they will be to me a people. And what he is saying there is that he will bring forth a system that can actually give birth to a brand new way of thinking and a brand new way of believing in man. And when we start to believe and think like God does, then he will then he can say, I am your God and you are my people. Why? Because you are now thinking and believing like me and I am a God, meaning I am the one that could bring forth my belief and my thoughts in your heart. That is what he's talking about. So when God talks about writing his law upon our hearts, he's, writing about, he's talking about writing what he believes about man on our heart. And God has always believed that when man, God has always believed that he could bring forth eternal life in man. He's always believed that. He's always believed that man was good enough to, uh, for him to bring forth eternal life in them. He's always believed that. But man couldn't believe that. Man believed that he could have this life by his works. So God came in Christ and he took a man that had all the sin of all the world. He, I mean, he brought forth a man that had no sin. Then he put the sin of all the world on one man. When he's put the sin of all the world on one man, he promised that man eternal life. That's what he did. And as he promised that man eternal life, that man with all sin and all death didn't do anything to remove sin or death. He simply believed the Father. And then he died. And the Father raised him from the dead without sin, without death. That's what he did. So now, since my sin was on Jesus, naturally when I behold Jesus upon the cross, I, and I behold Jesus in sin and in death, I'm beholding my life. And as I see Jesus conquered my sin and my death and was raised up, I can come to the bottom line conclusion that the resurrection life that he has is now mine. And that is the mind of God and the law of God written in my mind and in my heart. 
when I come to that bottom line conclusion. And when we come to that conclusion, we will not be in a system where we check up on one another and say, you don't know the Lord here, you don't know the Lord there. Why? Because every man will be taught of the Lord. What that means is that every person will have God inside him, bringing forth life in him, where he is taught from within by the very being of God that lives in him and brings forth life. That is what God's plan was. Now, when we, um, I, wanted, I wanted to read one more verse. It says in verse, uh, Hebrews 10 verse 9, it says, Then said, said he, this is Jesus quoting Psalm 40, Lo, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. So what he says is that the will of God could not be done under the old. Meaning, if you obey all the commands under the old, you are still not doing the will of God. Uh, the will of God is this, that even if you, you know, even if you would obey all the commands in the old, it would not be powerful enough to produce life and immortality in you. The Bible says, if there was a law whereby we could live, salvation would have been by the law. But there is no law whereby we could live. So, as long as what you are busy with uh, legalistic Christianity, you, are no, you will not experience the will of God. And since the will of God is this, that you believe on Christ, the more you are ob trying to obey the law, the less you are doing the will of God. The will of God is not for you to do the Ten Commandments. The will of God is for you to rely and trust upon Jesus to bring forth life in you. That is the will of God. The will of God is not for you to go and sit down with an Old Testament legalistic system or even a newer uh, Christianized law which has been candy-coated and all those kind of things. And from there... Uh, when we mix law with grace, try and do our part, and God does his, his part, we're not still not doing the, the, the will of God. The Bible says this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. And what he's saying thereby is, this is God's will, that you don't try to bring forth life and immortality to yourself by your own works, but that you rely upon him to bring it forth in you. This is the will of God, that... Uh, his holiness, His righteousness, and His peace manifests in you. And God knows that by your own ability, you can never get your body to be raised from the grave by your good works. God knows that by your strong willpower, you can never set yourself free from the passions of the flesh. It is impossible. You might suppress it by willpower and saying, I'm not doing it, I'm doing the good thing, but you're still suppressing something. There's still something there. But God, and, and, by, by, uh, and in that definition, we find the law too weak to save us. But God says that he can save us. And it's amazing when we start to believe that our sins died in Christ, when we start to believe that he was raised from the dead, when we start to believe the truth about ourselves, how sin falls from us, and how God brings forth life in us by his Holy Spirit, and we see the first signs of what God has promised us. I want to tell you now, the holy life you live now, the, the fruit of the Spirit you see now in your life, is just a sign unto, it's just the first fruit 
unto what we will truly have in the return of Christ. So, in this life, when you see the fruit of the Spirit starting to come forth in your life, don't think that's the end of it. When you see love starting to manifest in your life, when you see generosity starting to manifest in your life, when you see kindness and all those sort of things, things manifest in your life, don't think that this is the this is what God this is the end goal. No, no. Those are just what we call the fruit of the spirit or the effect of the spirit inside you. And the end is that this Holy Spirit will even conquer physical death and everything that comes with it in your life and bring forth a being inside you and through you that is exactly like the resurrected Jesus. Now, when we look into the glory of God, and I want to end off with this, when we go to uh, 2 Corinthians 3, when we look into the glory of God, and the glory of God is all His holiness, all His righteousness, all His kindness, um, all His splendor. We're talking about Sinai when God appeared upon the, the mountain and was shining with all His glory and the earth was shaking and we saw this unapproachable light flooded with life and goodness that is just so great from where all life comes. The Bible says when we look into that glory, we are looking as into a mirror. And I want, to see, I want you to see that. So, in, in Christianity, we are not trying to um, we're not trying to preach do's and don'ts. We don't. We're not trying to, by willpower, modify behavior. We are preaching God taking responsibility as the Creator of all of, of heaven and earth to create a clean us, clean heart in us. That is what we are looking at. Second Corinthians three verse eighteen. It says there. In, um, it says, But we all with open face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what he's saying is, is when we behold the glory of God, and we, we're not looking through the law at the glory of God, but we're looking at, uh, uh, at it through, uh, through the law taken away from us, and we're looking at it through the finished work of Christ and what God has accomplished. As we see that, the spirit of this life, the spirit of what Christ has brought forth, will change us from one glory to another glory. And what is this glory? You know, the law had a glory. The glory of the law was a fading glory. And that is the context of 2 Corinthians 3 there. 2 Corinthians 3 simply says that the, the, the face of, of, of Moses was shining and they put a veil over the face so that people would not be scared of him because his face was shining and that was fading. So the glory was fading from the face of Moses. But the glory that's of the Spirit is not a fading glory but an eternal glory. So the glory of the Lord was a momentarily um, joy and accomplishment but which ended in man even dying. But the glory of the gospel, the glory of God without the law, is a man that was physically raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, that can never die. And when we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus, meaning we are not seeing the glory of God as on the mountain, just in a fiery flame, but we see it manifested. We're looking at that glory that took shape in Christ, which includes us into eternal life.
When we look at that glory in the face of Jesus, the Bible says we are then, we will start to reflect the very same glory. And we will not have a glory that is seasons, but we will have a glory that is eternal, ending in immortality, which is God's judgment about us. He will bring forth His life and immortality in us. Now, to end this off, I want to say this. You might say, Beth, you said all of this, so what are you trying to say to, to us? What, how can we apply this? This is what I want to say to you. You can go and look at all the good that is in Jesus. And you can go and look at all the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians. And you can know that that is God's promise to you. And when you feel, whenever you feel that you've, you're disqualified, you haven't qualified by your own works, you're missing things, you, you're, not just, you, you're just not getting things right, I want you to look at the perfect Jesus and when you see the perfect Jesus, you say, Father, that is what you accomplished, and you took the responsibility of good fruit upon me, and I believe you. And just sit back and enter into the rest of God that way. That is what I want you to do. Again, what I want you to take home from this, and this is the wonderful thing that, that I walk by, is God promised me good works, and I believe him. He promised me his life. I believe him. He promised me immortality and I believe him. I, why do I believe him? Because I could see it in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a man at the right hand of God and his spirit, he took it upon him to pour out his spirit on me. And as the spirit hovered over the waters, he would speak words and bring forth things. In the very same way, that spirit hovers over my heart and he has already brought forth many things and he will continue to bring for things by the word of immortality that is seated at the right hand of the Father in our lives. That's what I want to encourage you with. Church, I want to thank you so much that you've watched this message. Thank you for, uh, you know, just your encouragement on Facebook. Thank you for all of you that prayed for my son. Um, Aubrey is um, he's well again. He's out of hospital and everything. And he's today um, uh, drove off to, the uni to university again. So... Uh, I mean, they're starting their next semester tomorrow, um, and it, it just went well with him. Uh, it was a painful operation. He went through a difficult time. But thank you for all your prayers and your encouragement. It was great to just see how you guys encourage us and carry us in this time with your prayers. We appreciate, we appreciate you. Um, so I'm looking forward to what's going to happen in the future uh, with our Wet Fellowship and just to see what God brings forth in your life. I want to thank you just for the um, allowing us to serve you. In, and that's the only way I can say it. Thank you for allowing us to serve you. We are seeing the fruit of God in your lives. Thank you so much for all of that. And uh, let me just pray, and then we're going to end the service. Father, I want to stretch forth my hands to everybody that's watching. I thank you, Lord, that I can declare over them that they are healed, cared for, flooded with the Spirit of God, and they will have unveiled face, not looking via the law to the glory of God, but into a man seated at the right hand of the Father as the truth about them. And with unveiled face, as by your Spirit, you take responsibility to be fruitful and multiply in the earth, and you bring forth your life in them, and you are their God, and they are your people, and we see your glory manifest in them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Thank you so much, and see you